Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a Bible in front of you to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. Uh, so Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. If you're newer to navigating the Bible, uh, turn there with me or pull it up on a device. Uh, we begin a new series today called The 4W Life, and really, uh, today's message is an introduction into this series as a whole, and uh, hopefully, if we, if we play this right, you'll understand why we're uh, teaching through this and kind of what we believe is at stake and what is uh, heavy on our hearts as pastors and elders that we all get moving forward. And so we're coming out of Easter, spending this spring in this series, but it's more than a series, and I'll tell you why here in a little bit. But before we jump into it uh, in full, um, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, there were these three different books that came out pretty close together. The first was a book entitled Crazy Love, written by a guy named Francis Chan. Anyone read this book, Crazy Love? And so uh, you, if you read, you know. If you haven't read it, uh, the title can kind of give it a way. Basically, the whole premise is that if we're followers of Jesus, we really should have this crazy love for him. It really should be all-encompassing. Uh, it really should affect every area of our life. And so this came out in like 2008. Uh, New York Times bestseller sold over 2 million copies. I mean, just a huge, huge hit. Ten year, uh, sorry, two years later, another book came out written by a guy named David Platt. The book was Radical. How many of you read Radical? Again, the title gives it, gives it away. It's this whole premise that following Jesus is and should be radical. And so those that we look at and we're like, man, they're radical Christians. David Platt's whole point is like, maybe that just should be normal for Christians. And so this came out two years after Crazy Love. Again, like New York Times bestseller, sold over a million copies, just a huge, huge hit. One year later, 2011, another book came out. This one written by Kyle Eidelman. It's called Not a Fan. Anyone read Not a Fan? Again, the title gives it away. Maybe Jesus is after more than fans. Maybe he really wants us to follow him. Maybe following him will mean uh, it's costly and you'll sacrifice. And so uh, one year later, this book comes out, sells over a million copies. And within like three years, millions and millions of copies sold, weeks and weeks on New York Times bestsellers list. And, and now I, I don't bring this up so that we can uh, critique the content of, of it or whatever, but I, I do to say this. It seems that... Every time a resource is produced that can help us know a little bit more of what it means to go all out for Jesus so that he really has our whole life. Every time a resource comes out like this, we devour it. We buy it up. They hit New York's Time bestseller list. Why? Because you and I, we really want to know when Jesus says to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we really want to know what a life like that looks like, don't we? And all of us know like how short we feel, like we know we come short of that. And so if a book or something comes out, we're like, man, I want to understand what it looks like to really go after Jesus in a wholehearted, truly a wholehearted way. Now, I start there because um, this is a big season in the life of our church. The first five and a half years of our church have been pretty awesome. God has done some amazing things in our midst. You, you, you only have to look as far as last week. How about that Easter service last week, huh? Yeah, how many of you are, say, like, more praise choirs, right? Just awesome celebration. And as we were worshiping last week, I would just have these flashbacks to, like, 17, 20 of us sitting in a living room or sitting at the classroom at Indiana Wesleyan. And it's like, it's amazing to sit in this room now. 
and to hear the cacophony of a multitude of people praising and worshiping Jesus and to just go, thank you, Lord, for how far we've come in five and a half years and what he has done to build his church. In the first five years, we got to plant our first church, Doxa Bible Church. And yes, we are so excited for that. If you haven't taken a Sunday to go up to Southport Road and visit Doxa Bible Church, please, you have an excused absence from here. Go check out the great work God is doing up at our church plant there. It's amazing. When you look in the first five years of what God has done in our kids' ministry and in our students' ministry and in our young adults' ministry, the Lord is just powerfully at work. I had a chance to teach in our young adult setting uh, this past Wednesday, and it is amazing what the Holy Spirit is doing in that group, and it's just absolutely awesome. In a few months, yes, a few months, God is going to entrust to us our first ever facility. And we are so thrilled for this. And, and uh, if you get a chance, go drive by it. It's not a far drive from here. It's like the other, yard, other side of the football field. Go check it out. And this is just, we're so thankful for the Lord, to the Lord for providing us a sending base where we can house disciple-making ministry that Lord willing will affect this community, but will affect our, affect our country and affect other continents as well. So what God has done in the first five years is amazing. But why this is such a big season is because it's so easy to just kind of get swept up in all of those like, quote unquote, like big things God is doing. And, and, and we like as, as, as elders and as pastors and as staff, last fall, we began to be a bit unsettled. And it wasn't a bad unsettled. It wasn't like we saw anything like big or scary, but like our hearts just began to be unsettled. And why were we unsettled? We were unsettled because it's like, man, the Lord has grown the church. We're going to move into our own facility. And it's so easy to just define success as a ministry by all of these big things that God is doing. It's so easy to just go, man, is the church growing? Great. Oh, awesome. Look at this brand new building. Great. But come on. We all know that's not success, don't we? Success is when we, as a faith family, have our whole hearts devoted to Jesus Christ. And where big worship isn't just happening on Sunday morning, but it's happened on Wednesday night around our dinner tables. And it's happening on Thursday afternoon as we're interacting with our teenager. And it's happening on Saturday morning as we're just gathered as a family. having a, Like we want to see wholehearted 168 hours a week discipleship. You with me? And we just began to be unsettled to go like, do we, have we as a church clarified what we mean by what it, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And now we're not doing this because we think, oh, our church is lacking. No, in fact, we love this church because you all are here because you want this. You want more. You don't want to just settle for a Sunday-to-Sunday discipleship thing. You want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus where you live and where you work and with the people you play with and at the places that you learn. You want this. And so we, over the, you know, since really last September, have just begun to do a lot of work to go, how do we live out this mission God has given us? to glorify God by making disciples. That is the mission. We want to bring God glory by making disciples. And we have said from day one that a disciple of Jesus does what we call these four W's. Worships, walks, works, and witnesses. 
But one of the things that we've seen over the last few months is we've not done a good enough job defining what that actually looks like lived out in the day-to-day, normal, everyday existence of which we walk. I think we all kind of get what it looks like to worship when we gather here on Sunday. But what's it look like between the Sundays? We understand a bit what it looks like to walk with Christ when we're gathered with our discipleship groups. But what's it mean outside of that? Do we know what it looks like to work for Christ and how we serve the body? Do we know what it looks like to, work, to witness for Christ and seeing our neighbors and our coworkers and our lost family and friends come to know Jesus Christ? This is what we wanna bring clarity to in these weeks after Easter. And so let, let me tell you what this isn't. This isn't just a sermon series. Because if it's just a sermon series, we're going to get seven weeks down the road and we're going to move on to the next series and this will all be left in the dust. This also isn't some like campaign. Hey, we're doing now left a 4W Live campaign. And we got balloon arches and confetti cannons. and we're, No, 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 no. You know that's not us. What we hope this is, is just a way of life. We hope this is an on-ramp for some teaching and some training that just becomes the culture of who we are and just becomes the lifestyle of what we do. You mean like you got like this church, you actually go like talk to neighbors you don't know about Jesus Christ? What? what? Yeah, we like actually do. And man, like that family, they, their car went down and like, 15 families just got together, like pulled their money and bought them a new one? Like did the church tell them to do that? No, 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 that's just what we do. I want to be part of a place like that. And I'm going to tell you, we're seeing the stories of that, but what would this look like? It's just a culture of who we are, a people living a way of life. And so we want to clarify and we want to call each other to what it looks like to follow after Jesus together 168 hours a week. And so as I said, this is just an on-ramp to what will become a lifestyle and a culture. Uh, We're retooling how we connect people into the church from an assimilation standpoint around the content you're going to be taught here. We're creating equipping environments. And so on Sunday, I'm going to preach on one of our W's. Next week, it'll be worship. The week after that, uh, it'll be a walk. And then during the week, we're going to release equipping environments done by our other pastors to go, hey, in light of what was taught on Sunday, here are some practical ways that can be lived out within your life or within your family. And so you're going to watch those in your discipleship groups, or you're going to get the link, and you're going to be able to watch those uh, with some friends or as a family to go, when rubber meets the road, what does this actually look like lived out in our life? Our student ministry is going to be going through this content. Our kids are going through a version of this content. Our young adults are going through a version of this content because we hope this just becomes the culture. But I, I, I need you to know something. You're going to walk out of here this morning and you're going to go like, I think I kind of get it, but I'm not sure I fully do. We're going to get seven weeks down the road. We're going to have taught on all of our witnesses and you're going to go, okay, I think I really do think I get it. But the things we're talking about are actually years in the making. Have you ever heard the saying, it's more caught than taught? We're going to teach on witness and on prayer walking your neighborhoods and on how to share the gospel with people that you don't know. If you're like prayer walking our neighborhoods, like, honey, get the coats. We're out of here. Hold on, chill. 
It actually is just going for a walk in your neighborhood and praying as you do. But you're going to get taught on that on a Sunday morning and through some equipping environments. But it won't be till you prayer walk a time or two that you're like, okay, we get it. We know, we, we get it. This will be more caught than taught. And as pastors and elders, we've been saying, like, we don't expect all of these things we're going to be teaching on as a holistic lifestyle discipleship. We don't expect in six weeks, we're like, got it, boom, we're good. We don't expect even in six months, boom, got it, we're good. Our hope is six years down the road, we're like, yes, we are just seeing people live out this crazy, radical, awesome calling of following Jesus in their day-to-day life. And so throughout these weeks, here's how it's kind of going to be structured. Um, uh, Each week when we gather, I'm going to root the W, these W's of what we believe disciples do in a biblical passage, right? Because if we say disciples of Jesus, worship, walk, work, and witness, we better be able to back it up with the Bible. You with me? That better not just be cute words we came up with. And so we're going to root each of our W's in a biblical passage. We're then going to define the W's by giving their biblical principles, when we say a disciple worships, what do we mean by that? And, and we're just saying in the first five and a half years as a church, we have just like, we've not done you a service to, to, to define that. And we've just kind of been like, oh, you know, I'm sure people kind of get it. No, we're going to define what we mean by each of these W's. And then this is where change will happen. We're going to equip our whole church how to live these W's by training in practices, What are the practices? What are the rhythms of the W's? And now, depending on your church background or how you grew up, you might hear that third one. Like me, kind of how I grew up, just in some of my church background, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean practices? Don't be giving me some legalistic checklist stuff here. No, 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 no. We're not talking legalistic checklists. We're talking rhythms and practices of what do worshipers do on the daily? What are those walking with Christ? What are some practices on the daily? How do we on the weekly begin to serve each other as a body? What does it look like to witness in our neighbors? What are the practices we need to instill into our lives? So this is kind of what these coming weeks are going to look like. Now, if you're new to Jesus or you're new to our church, you really couldn't pick a better time to jump into the life of our church. Why? Because we're basically going to be walking through what we believe it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you've been around the church since launch Sunday, there couldn't be a better season for you to stay a part of our church because we're gonna define in a deep, the deepest level that I think we ever have of what we believe about what it means to follow Jesus. But in order to see these things happen, we need to start at the heart level. And so uh, Matthew chapter 22 gets to the heart that will drive everything we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. And so let me give you uh, some context on what's going on in this part of Matthew's gospel. Then let me pray and then we'll walk through it. Um, In Matthew chapter 22, you have Jesus inching his way closer to the cross. And towards the last days of Jesus' life, the, the, the tensions with the religious establishment are the highest that they had ever been. And so in Matthew 22, we find the two main religious leader groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, 
coming to Jesus, and they're coming with a goal. And I, I just want to point out something it says in verse 15, Matthew 22, verse 15. It says, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. You have the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to Jesus, and their goal is to trap Jesus in his words. I think that goal is hysterical. I mean, it's like a two-year-old going to a PhD and trying to trap him in his words, right? You're not going to trap the Son of God in his words. But nevertheless, this is why they're coming. And so in Matthew uh, 5, uh, 22, 15, the Pharisees take their first shot, like, hey, Jesus, answer this one, huh? And Jesus just sets it on a tee and crushes it out of the park. And so the, the Sadducees are watching this. They're like, step aside, Pharisees. We got one. Hey, Jesus, uh, verse 22, uh, verse 23 will tell you, then the Sadducees come up and they're like, hey, we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Jesus, what do you do with this? And again, Jesus takes it, sets it on a tee and crushes it out of the park. And so the Pharisees are like, Sadducees, step aside. We, we've huddled up. We got another one. And they're going to come with another question. The motive of the question is bad. I'm so thankful that the question was asked, though. Because in Jesus' answer, we get to understand of this wholehearted, all-in, all-out-for-Jesus-Christ calling that he has asked every one of us to pursue. And so let me pray for us, and then let's get into God's word and see what he calls us to. Father, will you help us now as we walk through just a little passage of your word? Lord, anyone with church background has heard this numerous times. Would they hear it afresh today? Lord, anyone who is new or investigating following you, they might hear this for the first time. Would they realize that following after you is a wholehearted devotion thing, not just something we can add to a list of other things that we like? So Jesus, will you enable, will you equip us, will you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. So the Pharisees step back up, verse 34, and they got a plan. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And so I, I love this picture. Like you got the Pharisee, you know, the Sadducees are walking away with their tail between their legs. And you have uh, the Pharisees over here huddling up like, okay, what are we going to do? What's the, what's the stump Jesus question? Verse 35, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. And so the lawyer, the expert in the law, the expert in the Mosaic law, he's like, guys, got it. Step back, watch this. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So you can see this. He comes out of the pack. He walks over to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, <laughs> try this one on for size. Which is the greatest command in all the law? <laughs> and Jesus is like, Look at what he says. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus is like easy. Deuteronomy 6 gets at it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your mind. 
And the lawyer stands there and it's like, we're not told what the lawyer's reaction is. The great commandment is that we love. What does it mean to love? It's a pretty crucial thing to define in our day and age, isn't it? Is love an emotion? It includes emotion, but I think all of us in this room would agree it's more to love than emotion. Love, scripturally speaking, seems to get at this self-denying, self-sacrificing joy of serving another. Where, where you see, especially this word love that is used right here by Jesus, it's about the joyful reality of self-denial, self-sacrifice in order for the good of another. And Jesus says the great commandment, it can be summarized in this, uh, joyfully abandon yourself to the glory of God. Love the Lord your God, and then these three repeated alls, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And now we could spend hours going into each of these, what is the heart, what is the soul, what is the mind. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with the control center of your being, may it be consumed with a love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, the spiritual GPS of your life is to be known and rooted in an all-encompassing love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with the intellectual faculties. All that you have is to be known and encapsulated by a love for God. Jesus is saying the great command is to wholeheartedly love God. You read that, and I don't think there's any of us in the room who are like, check, got it, crushed it, I'm good. All of us feel where we fall so short of that command. It's why when a book like Crazy Love or Radical or Not a Fan comes out, we rush to Barnes and Noble and get it because we want to know how can I follow after the Lord more wholeheartedly with my life. But I wanna encourage you in something. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, if you have believed in him and he has saved you from your sin, there's something going on in your heart right now. It's he's sanctifying you. He's progressively making you more like Jesus. And so the good news is you are closer to living this out today than you were yesterday. Come on. And you'll be closer next week than you were this week. And all of us are in pursuit of living out this faithfulness to loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And this is what we hope to get at with this 4W Life study. What does that really look like? How do we pursue that with a greater focus? Now, Jesus could have left it there. He answered the question, but he goes on and he says this in verse 39. And a second is like it. I love that. 
And so if you can imagine, he's answered the lawyer and the lawyer's probably standing there or walking away and Jesus is like, hold on, I know you only asked for one, but a second is like it. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, uh, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But he doesn't stop there. He says like two sides of the same coin, a second command is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now when Jesus says this, as it's recorded in Luke's gospel, some inquisitive soul or potentially smart aleck says, who's my neighbor? To which Jesus tells a story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Guy's walking down a road, gets jumped, beat up, left for dead. A priest, the religious leader of the day, a priest walks by, passes to the other side, doesn't help. A Levite walks by, Passes to the other side, doesn't help. And then a Samaritan. And all the crowd, oh, Samaritan, we hate those guys. Because they did. Samaritan comes by, stops, bends down, bandages the wounds, loads up the injured person, takes him to an end, pays for it out of his own pocket. And Jesus says, who of these was the neighbor? And they're like, oh, the Samaritan And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. The command that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves is a command to love all people. It's a command to love the people you find really easy to love, the people you like hanging out with, the ones who when they need something, you're like, man, I would love to help them. And it's also a command to love the people who aren't as easy to love. The ones who do not return uh, your love and your service to them with uh, what we would call maybe a normal level of gratitude. The ones who seem entitled. The ones who the rest of the people in our life look at and go, why do you keep helping them? Why do you keep loving on them? The command to love our neighbor is a command to love everyone. And then Jesus says this, and I'm so glad he said this. Verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's a big statement. It's a kind of statement I love. Anyone, uh, did anyone grow up in school with like cliff notes? You know what I'm talking about with that? I never used a cliff note, I promise. I just lied. Here's what I love about what Jesus just did here. He says, all the law and the prophets, it's a reference to the Hebrew scriptures. It's it's a phrase used to sum up what we have in our Old Testament. He says, do you want to know what all the law and the prophets is about? All of this that you have can be summed up in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, all of this hangs on one of those two hooks. And we want to figure out what it looks like for us to pursue this with an undivided heart. 
for us to pursue this, not only when we gather the couple hours a week in church functions, but what it looks like to pursue an all-out love for God and an all-out love for our neighbor in the weekly rhythms of our life. We're not gonna ask you to go fill your calendar with a bunch of other meetings and events. We know that all of us already walk a normal rhythm in our life. How do we walk that normal rhythm in our life where you work, where you go to school, the family and friends that you do life with, the neighborhoods that you live in? What does this look like lived out in the day-to-day, week-to-week reality? This is where we're going after. And so here's my prayer for this. This on-ramp series that, Lord willing, will just become kind of a culturally setting tone for our church. Here's the simple prayer. Lord, give me a wholehearted love for you and for people. Would you pray that prayer? Would you write that prayer down and would you pray that this week? There's nothing profound about it. It's very, very simple. Lord, give me a wholehearted love for you and for people. It might be simple, but think about what could happen if God would answer that prayer. Are you with me? It might be simple, but think of how God might prune us in order to answer that prayer. Are you with me? That is what we want to go after. We have settled every, every culture, every culture, um, every culture where Christianity lives has its strengths, its discipleship strengths and its discipleship weaknesses. One of the great strengths of our culture is we get to meet like this and worship freely. How many millions of believers around the world would long for that? Do you want to know what the shadow side of that is, though? What the weakness of that is? We can just grow so ho-hum in just our, you know, weekly rhythm of showing up and worshiping. And we think, in general, the American church can just begin to string powerful Sunday experiences together. And as long as the church is growing and as long as money's coming in, then everything's going well. Hogwash. What if some of your most powerful worship experiences would come around family worship after dinner on some nights? Where you go, oh yeah, Sunday was awesome. But Wednesday night floored me. What if our walk with Jesus would go to a depth that when we read the Gospels and we read the book of Acts and we're like, look at how they walk, look at how they walk, that we started to look around and go, look at how we're walking. It's crazy. We're crazy. What if the people around us in our community started to go, hey, you run into any of those Redeemer Bible Church people? They're a little crazy. And what if we're like, yeah. What would it look like if we began to work? And when we say work for Christ, we're bringing definition to it. We're talking about serving the body of Christ. What would it look like if what we see in Acts of them selling possessions, selling fields, like that just became the week-to-week norm? 
I told you earlier, what God is doing in our young adults group is, is it's remarkably spirit-led. A couple months ago, a girl's car died. She's died dead. Unprompted, the young adults are like, well, what if we just started pooling our money? We can buy her a new car. And so 20 bucks here, 50 bucks there, $7.47 here. Boom, pulled together, new car for this girl. That's what I see here, don't you? And so our young adult group was just like, well, that's just what we see, so why don't we go do that? How many of us are like, "Mm, hey, there's a great dealership down the road, right? That's where I would have been, right? What would it look like if we began to witness, like our house became a missionary pillar of our neighborhood? That our friends who didn't know Jesus just came because they're like, I don't know where else to go. Where our backyards, our barbecues, our campfires started to look more like Jesus, where people who didn't look like Jesus at all like to be around Jesus. Where we might get uncomfortable a bit with like some of the conversation that comes up, you're like, whoa, I don't know what to say right now. But we began to love neighbors and coworkers and family and friends, to love them and to share the gospel with them and to show up again and again and again with love in the gospel. And so when we get to the witness equipping, we're going to talk about what does that look like? How are we doing at witnessing in our neighborhoods? I won't rob all my content from that week, but I'll share with you. Erica and I's first attempt with a neighbor ended up with a plate of cookies stepped on and my bulldog of a wife going toe-to-toe with an 82-year-old neighbor insisting that the gospel really is simple. I said, you go, girl. (laughs) And guess what? They don't know Jesus yet. But pies go down to their house and cookies come back to ours. And we go down there and they drive up our driveway. And every time we try to love and we try to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we want, isn't it? More than just, hey, in a few months, we've got an awesome new building. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But that's only as good as the equipping and the encouraging that happens here when we gather so that we can scatter in the power of the Holy Spirit and see what we see happen in this book. Amen. So church, if you would stand to your feet. Um, I, I, wanna, I want this song to be our closing prayer. Uh, the song is, we sang it earlier, Let My Faith Come Alive. And every time we sing this on a Sunday, a few people always come up and be like, I can't find this song on Spotify. Where do I get this on iTunes? Go after our worship team to get into a recording studio and record it because they wrote it. And in this song, Let My Faith Come Alive, take this breath inside. Train my heart to know that you're worth more than gold. God, really, 
really train my heart to believe there is nothing more valuable than you. Because when I believe that, I'll live like that. And so if we can, let's sing this just as the closing prayer and as the anthem over everything we're going to be studying together in the weeks ahead.